Hello, everybody. This is Ally Moon. You are listening to the Lyrical Audio Candy Tour. That was totally impromptu. I have no idea what I was doing. I've monetized my site, I'm sure you've noticed. And so I'm still trying to figure out how in the world can I sing on this platform, this podcast? How can I sing without breaching some sort of copyright problem? Hmm, maybe I need to make up my my own songs. Maybe. Or I can just look into perhaps old, old songs that are not copyright. I really have to dig into that because that would be really interesting to add that to this podcast. If you want to hear me sing, you can always go on Lemur. Look me up, Allie Moon 76. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm on there every Saturday, Sing Song Saturday. So if you really want to hear me sing, I'll be there. All right, let's get back to business, shall we? This is Lyrical Audio Candy Tour. (laughs) This is where we explore books, poetry, and quotes that please every taste. Every flippin' taste. Letters 10 through 15. Are you excited? I am. (laughs) I have a cold in this episode, by the way. I don't have a cold, like, right now, because I'm doing this uh, intro on a different date. But I have, I had a cold in letter 10 and 11, and that's why I sound so funny, kind of raspy. So, all right, hang tight. Enjoy. Letter 10. The Marquis de Montreuil to the Vicomte de Vermont. Are you sulking, Vicomte, or dead? Or are you living only for your Presidente, which comes to very much the same thing? This woman who has given you back the illusions of your youth will also give you back its silly prejudices before very long. There you are, in a state of timid servitude already. You might as well be in love. You renounce your bold strategies that have succeeded in the past. So you are behaving in an unprincipled fashion leaving everything to chance, or rather, the whim of the moment. Do you not remember that love is like medicine, only the art of giving nature a hand? You see, I am attacking you with your own weapons, but I shall not take any pride in it, or I should be beating a man who is down. She must give herself, you tell me. (laughs) Ha! No doubt she must! So she will give herself as the others have done, except that she will give herself with a bad grace, but so that she may end by giving herself the proper thing to do is to take her at the outset. What a silly distinction, and typical of the illogicality of love. Yes, love. For you are in love, were I to call it by any other name. I should be deceiving you. I should be hiding your melody from you. So tell me then, my languorous lover, do you believe that you have raped the women you have had? However much a woman wants to give herself, however eager she is to do it, she must still have a pretext. And is there a more convenient one than that which makes it seem she is yielding to force? I confess that, 
as far as I am concerned. One of the things which flatters me most is a vigorous and skillful attack, where everything happens in an ordered fashion, though rapidly. It never puts us in the painful or embarrassing position of needing to make amends for some goucherie, which we should have profited from instead. It keeps up the semblance of violence, even in the granting of our favors and cleverly flatters our two favorite passions, the glory of defense and the pleasure of defeat. I acknowledge that this talent, rarer than one might think, has always given me pleasure, even when it has not prevailed, and I have on occasion capitulated solely as a reward. It is just as it was in the jousting matches of old when beauty bestowed the prize for skill and valor. But you, no longer yourself, are behaving as if you were afraid of success. Why? Since when have you traveled in short stages and by the side roads? My friend, when you wish to reach your destination, travel by the post-chaise and the high road. But let us leave this subject, which makes me crosser and crosser, the more it deprives me of the pleasure of your company. At least write to me more often than you do, and tell me what progress you are making. Do you realize this silly affair has been taking up almost two weeks of your time, and that you are neglecting everyone? Speaking of neglect, you are like those people who regularly send for news of their friends who are ill but who never wait for an answer. You ended your last letter by asking me if the Chevalier was dead. I did not reply, and you did not trouble to ask again. Have you forgotten that my lover is your bosom friend? But rest assured, he is not dead. Or if he were, it would be because he had expired from joy. How tender-hearted he is, this poor... Chevalier, just made for loving, how acutely he feels things. My head is whirling. Seriously, the perfect happiness he finds in being loved by me has made me form a real attachment to him. How happy I made him on the very day I wrote to you that I had in mind to break it off. Just as I was occupied in finding a way to make him despair, he was announced. Whether it was fancy or reason on my part, never had he seemed more handsome. However, I received him coldly. He was hoping to spend a couple of hours with me before it was my time for the doors to be opened to everyone. I told him I was about to go out. He asked me where I was going. I refused to tell him. He insisted. Away from you! I answered sharply. Fortunately for him, he was struck dumb by my rejoinder, for had he said anything, a scene would most certainly have ensued, which would have brought about the rift I had intended. Surprised by his silence, I looked at him with no other intention, I swear, than to see his expression. On his charming face, I discovered a sadness, at once profound and touching, which you yourself have acknowledged is very difficult to resist. The same cause produced the same effect. 
For a second time, I was overcome. From that moment on, my only concern was to find ways of preventing him finding fault with me. I'm going out on business, I said, rather more gently. And it has something to do with you, but do not ask questions. I shall sup at home, come back, and you shall know the truth. So he started to speak again, but I did not permit him to go on. I'm in a great hurry, I continued. Leave me until tonight. He kissed my hand and left. To make it up to him and perhaps to myself, I decided to introduce him to my petite maison, whose existence he did not suspect. I called my faithful Victoire. I have a migraine. I am in bed if anyone calls and alone with my trusty confidant, while she dressed up as a lackey. I put on the clothes of a chambermaid. Then she called a cab to come to the garden gate, and off we went. Once arrived in the temple of love, I chose the most elegant negligee. This one was delightful, and of my own invention, it reveals nothing and leaves everything to the imagination. I promise you a pattern for your Presidente, when you have rendered her fit to wear it. After these preparations, while the Victoire busied herself with other details, I read a chapter of Le Sofa, a letter of Heloise, and two tales of La Fontaine, to establish in my mind the various tones I wished to adopt. Meanwhile, keen as ever, my chevalier arrives at my door. My footman refuses him entry telling him I am ill. That was the first thing. At the same time, he gives him a note from me, not in my handwriting, as is my prudent custom. My chevalier opens it and finds, in Victoire's handwriting, at nine o'clock sharp on the boulevard outside the cafes. He goes there, and a little lackey doesn't know, or at least thinks he does not. For it is, in fact, Victoire, who comes to tell him to send his cab away and follow him. These romantic procedures excite him inordinately, but excitement does nobody any harm. He finally arrives and is spellbound with amazement and love. To give him time to collect himself, we walk a while in the shrubbery. Then I bring him back to the house. The first thing he sees is two places laid at the table. The next, a bed all prepared. Then we go into the boudoir, which is very beautifully decorated. There, half deliberately and half on impulse, I put my arms around him and allow myself to fall down at his knees. Oh, my friend, I say, I am sorry that in order to spring this little surprise on you, I distressed you by seeming annoyed and by hiding my true feelings for a moment from your eyes. Forgive me my wrongdoing. I wish to expiate it with my love. You may judge the effect of these sentimental words. The happy chevalier raised me to my feet and my forgiveness was sealed upon the same ottoman where you and I so gaily 
and in the same manner, sealed our eternal rupture, as we had six hours to spend together, and I had resolved that all this time should be just as delightful for him. I curbed his passion, and moved from tenderness to the pleasant flirtatiousness. I do not believe I ever took so much care to please anyone, nor do I think I was ever so satisfied with myself before. After supper, childish and reasonable, by turns, gay and sensitive, sometimes even libertine, I enjoyed thinking of him as a sultan in the middle of his harem, and myself by turns a different favorite. In fact, each time his attentions were paid, they were always received by the same woman, yet always by a different mistress. Finally, at dawn, we were obliged to go our separate ways, and whatever he said, whatever he did, even to prove the contrary, his need to go was as great as his disinclination to do so. The moment we were leaving, as a last farewell, I took the key of that happy abode, and, putting it into his hand, said, I only took it for your sake. It is only right that you should be master of it. It is for the high priest to do as he likes with the temple. In this adept fashion, I forestalled the thoughts which might have been provoked in him by the ever-suspect ownership of the petite missile. I know him well enough to be certain he will use it for me alone. And in any case, if the fancy took me to go there without him, I have another key. He was very eager to make a date to return. But I still like him too much to wish to exhaust him so quickly. One should permit oneself access only with people one intends to leave shortly. He does not know that, but happily I know it for both of us. I see that it is three in the morning and I have written a book. When I plan to write one line... Such are the joys of a trusting friendship, and that is why you are still the one I like the best. But the truth is, the Chevalier is the one I find the more attractive. From 12 August 17 Letter 11. The Presidente de Tavella to Madame de Valange. The severe tone of your letter would have made me very apprehensive, madame, if, happily, I had not discovered more cause to feel safe here than you have given me for alarm. The redoubtable Monsieur Valmont, that terror of our sex, seems to have laid down his deadly weapons before coming to the chateau. He has not been the least scheming, nor has he given any appearance of doing so. And his power to charm, which even his enemies concede he has, is here almost non-existent, for he is just like a child. Apparently, it is the country air which has worked this miracle. But I do assure you that, though constantly in my company and even 
apparently, enjoying it, he has not uttered one single word of anything resembling love. Not one of those phrases that every man allows himself, which far less reason than he has. He never forces that reticence upon me, that all respectable women are obliged to adopt nowadays, to keep the men around them at a proper distance. He never abuses the gaiety he provokes. Perhaps he is something of a flatterer, but he is so tactful that he would accustom modesty itself to being praised. In brief, if I had a brother, I should wish him to be like Monsieur de Vaumont, as he has proved himself to be here. Perhaps many women would prefer him to be more overtly gallant, but I admit that I am infinitely grateful to him for being able to judge my character well enough not to count me among their number. This portrait is no doubt very different from the one you have painted, and yet both of them have perhaps been true at different periods in his life. He himself admits he has often done wrong, and no doubt people accuse him of more besides, but I have come across very few men who speak more respectfully, I might even say enthusiastically, about respectable women. At least on that subject, as you say, he is to be believed. His conduct with Madame de Montoy is proof of that. He talks to us a great deal about her, and always speaks so highly of her, and seems to have such a true attachment for her, that until I received your letter I had the impression that what he called friendship between the two of them was most certainly love. I blame myself for this hasty judgment, and all the more because he himself often been careful to justify her character. I admit, I thought he was only being chivalrous, when it was honest sincerity on his part. I am not sure, but it seems to me that a man who is capable of such loyal friendship with so estimable of a woman is not an irredeemable libertine. I do not know either whether we owe his present good conduct to any plans he has hereabouts, as you suppose. Certainly, there are some attractive women in the neighborhood, but he seldom goes out, except in the mornings, and then he says he's going hunting. It is true he hardly ever brings back any game, but he insists that he is not skilled in this activity. In any case, what he does with himself when he is out is none of my business, and if I tried to find out, it would only be in order to come round to your view, or to bring you round to mine. As to your suggestion that I work towards cutting short Monsieur de Vaumont's intended stay here, it would seem to me very difficult to dare ask his aunt to do without her nephew's company, especially since she has such a great affection for him. But I do promise I shall take the opportunity of making this request, either to her or to him, but only through deference to you, and not because there is any real need to do so. As far as I'm concerned, Monsieur de Tovel knows of my intention to stay here until he returns, and he would be quite understandably surprised were I to change my mind for a trifle. These explanations are laborious, madame, but I felt it was only my honest duty to give you a good account of Monsieur de Vaumont, 
for in your eyes he would seem to have much need of this. I am no less sensible of the friendly concern which dictates your advice. It is also to this that I owe your charming compliment about the delay in the wedding of Mademoiselle, your daughter. I am so very sincerely obliged to you. But whatever pleasure I promise myself in spending this time with you, I should willingly sacrifice it to the wish to see Mademoiselle de Volanges settled happily sooner. If indeed it were possible for her to be happier than with a mother so worthy of all her love and respect. Two sentiments which I assure you I share with her in my profound affection for your good self. I have the honor to be, etc. From 13 August 17. Letter 12. Cécile Volange to the Marquise de Montreuil. Mamma is unwell, madame. She cannot go out, and I must keep her company, so I shall not have the honor of accompanying you to the opera. I assure you I am more sorry not to be with you than I am to miss the performance. I beg you to believe me. I do like you so very much. Would you be kind enough to inform the Chevalier d'Ansny that I do not have the songbook he mentioned, and that if he can bring it tomorrow I shall be truly delighted? If he comes today, he will be told we are not home, but that is because Mamma does not wish to receive anybody. I hope she will be better tomorrow. I have the honor to be, etc. From 13 August 17. <laughs> Letter 13. The Marquise de Matoy to Cécile Volange. I am very sorry to hear, my dear, that I am to be deprived of the pleasure of your company, as well as to hear the reason for it. I hope the occasion will present itself again. I will fulfill your charge with respect to the Chevalier d'Anzigny, who will no doubt be extremely sorry to hear of your maman's indisposition. If she wishes to receive me tomorrow, I shall go and keep her company. We shall together challenge the Chevalier du Baroche to piquet, and, while we are winning money from him, we shall have the greater pleasure of hearing you sing with your charming teacher, to whom I shall propose it. If this is agreeable to your mamma and to yourself, I can answer for myself and my two Chevaliers. Farewell, my dear. My compliments to the dear Madame de Volange. With all my love. From 13 August 17. Letter 14. Cécile Volange to Sophie Carnet. My dear Sophie, I did not write yesterday. But not because I was out enjoying myself, I can tell you. Mamma was indisposed, and I did not leave her side all day. When I went up to my room in the evening, I had no energy for anything. I went to bed straight away to convince myself the day was really over. 
I had never known such a long one. It is not that I am not fond of Mama. I don't know what it is. I was supposed to go to the opera with Madame de Maltroy. The Chevalier Dansny was to be there, as you know. They are the two people I like best in the world. When the time came that I should have been there, I could not help feeling a terrible pang. I took no pleasure in anything, and I wept and wept, and I could not stop. Fortunately, Mama was in bed and could not see me. I am certain the Chevalier d'Ansny will have been vexed as well, but he will have been distracted by the performance and the company, so it was not at all the same. Fortunately, Mama is better today, and Madame de Maltoy will arrive with the Chevalier d'Ansny and someone else. But she always arrives very late, Madame de Maltoy. And it is extremely tiresome to be on one's own for such a long time. It is only eleven o'clock. It is true that I have to practice my harp, and it will take some time to get ready, for I wish my hair to be dressed nicely today. I believe that Mother Perpetuie is right, that one becomes very conscious of one's appearance when one is in society. I have never desired to be pretty so much as in the last few days, and I have discovered that I'm not so pretty as I once thought. One does not look well next to women who wear rouge. Madame de Maltoy, for instance. It is plain to see that all men consider her to be prettier than me. It does not vex me greatly, for she is very fond of me. And besides, she assures me that the Chevalier of Dansny thinks I am prettier than her. It is really nice of her to tell me that. She even seems to be very happy about it. Now I cannot understand why. Because she likes me so much? And as for him, oh, I was so pleased. It seems to me that just looking at him makes me more beautiful. I could go on looking at him forever if I were not afraid of meeting his gaze. For every time it happens, I am obliged to lower my eyes. And it is almost painful to me, but it is of no consequence. Farewell, my dear friend. I shall begin my toilette. My love to you as ever. Paris, 14, August 17. Letter 15. The Vicomte de Valmont. To the Marquise de Montreuil. It is very good of you not to abandon me to my unhappy fate. The life I'm leading here is truly wearing, because of the surfeit of leisure and its tedious lack of variety. Reading your letter with all the details of your delightful day, I was tempted twenty times to pretend I had business to attend to. Rush to your side and beg you for an infidelity to your chamelier, who, when all is said and done, does not deserve his good fortune. Do you know you have made me jealous of him? And what do you mean by our eternal rupture? I renounce those vows, uttered in the moment of madness. If they were intended to be kept, we cannot have been worthy of making them. Oh... I might one day take my revenge in your arms on the unintentional offence to me occasioned by the Chalier's good fortune. I am indignant, I admit, 
When I think that this man, without thinking it through or putting himself out in the slightest, but simply obeying his instincts, should achieve a felicity which I cannot possibly attain. Oh, I shall blight his happiness. Promise me. I shall. Are you not humiliated by it? You put yourself to the trouble of deceiving him, and yet he is happier than you are. You think you have him in thrall. But you are in thrall to him. He sleeps soundly whilst you stay awake for his pleasure. Would his slave do more? Listen, my love, as long as you share yourself among several, I am not the least jealous. I simply see in your lovers the successors of Alexander. They are incapable, the whole lot of them put together, of holding on to an empire where I reigned alone. But that you should give yourself entirely to just one? That there should be another man as happy as I? I shall not tolerate it. Do not expect me to. Either take me back, or at least take a second lover. And do not betray, for the sake of a single whim, the involatile friendship we swore to one another. It is quite enough that I am tormented by love. You see, I am inclined to your view and I admit my mistake. In fact, if not being able to live without possessing what one desires is to be in love, to sacrifice one's time, one's pleasures, one's life, then I truly am in love, and I have made scarcely any progress at all. I might have nothing to report, were it not for one event which gives me much food for thought, and I do not yet know if I have grounds for hope or fear. You know my man-servant, a master of intrigue, and the very mortal of the valet in comedy? As you may imagine, he has been instructed to fall in love with a chambermaid and ply all the servants with drink. The rogue is happier than I am. He has already had some success. He has just discovered that Madame de Tavelle has charged one of her servants to find out about my movements and even to follow me about on my morning excursions, inasmuch as he can without being seen. What is the woman trying to do? The most modest of them all, yet daring to risk things that would scarcely permit ourselves. I swear to you. But before I plan to avenge this feminine ruse, let us think up a way of turning it to our advantage. Until now, these suspicious excursions had no motive. I must give them one that deserves my whole attention, and I am leaving you in order to give it my consideration. Farewell, my love. Still from the Chateau des 15 August 17. Oh my goodness, letter 10 was long, wasn't it? Over 12 minutes? Wow, that was a mouthful. And I had a cold. What a trooper I am, huh? I'm such a trooper. Hope you enjoyed letters 10 through 15. Next time you see me, you'll probably have letters 16 through whatever. It depends. Um, sometimes the letters are really long, so I'll just do four. But I have to look and see what I'm going to do. But... Rest assured, I will be back 
by the end of June. That is the plan. The end of June, people. Mark it on your calendar. Okay? All right. Have a beautiful evening, and I'll catch you later. <laughs>